Okay, so I am here with Pastor Javier Silva from Calvary Chapel Church in Deming, New Mexico, in Southwest New Mexico. Um, going to do just kind of an interview with him on, um, you know, his life before he knew Christ and what life is like now, what led up to it, the events that led up to it, and how um, God has worked in his life and changed things in his life. This is the first interview I've ever done, and I've never been to school where I do interviews for people. So, so you're not a professional journalist. I, I'm not a professional journalist, but that's all right. We don't need to be because what we're going to get out of it is going to be what's important. And um, this is kind of a spur of the moment interview, which is why I don't have my regular webcam or microphones or anything like that. But uh, uh, Pastor Javier Silva, um, so um, how long have you been serving at Calvary Chapel Dimming? Uh, since uh, 2006. 2006. 2006, so 14 years. And how long um, has Calvary Chapel Dimming been open? Uh, I believe it was incorporated in 2004. 2004. So we've got 18 years that this church has been here, and it originally was actually quite a bit bigger before a lot of um, splits happened over silly things. Um, cookie crumbs. Cookie crumbs and water bottles. And um, What is one of the biggest accomplishments, in, in your opinion, since this church has opened? Like one of the biggest things that this church has been able to provide to the community, or um, I would say one of the biggest things uh, was uh, some youth conferences we did when we were in our old building. Uh, sometimes just getting as many as two hundred and fifty kids at one time, and just being able to share the gospel with them and encourage them uh, with the Bible on how to live their lives. Because without the Bible, uh, they can't really know Jesus, and without knowing Jesus, you ain't got no hope. Exactly. So it's been um, productive, if you could say, or at least in the days that we had kids coming to church. Right. So you've been serving here for 14 years. And uh, when you came to this church, what was your role when you started serving here initially? Was it did you came? Did you come initially to start serving or just as a member of the church? Uh, no, I, I came down here just as a member of the church uh, to be closer to my mom uh, from my father's side. So uh, I ended up just helping out, whether it was cleaning or setting up, pulling down chairs, you know, whatever it took, bathrooms, I mean, you name it. And then how long after you just started, uh, before you were attending, or how long after you started attending this church before you started serving in any capacity, aside just from the general serving, cleaning the bathroom kind of ministry before you became like a, a leader, if you will? Oh, I want to say... Um, Informally, I ended up uh, starting a youth group in the latter part of 2006 and um, was um, finally um, made the pastor in 2007. So it was about a, a year informally of just uh, teaching, teaching the kids as they came in, and then the youth group. But when you're serving in those, all, all serving is necessary whether you're teaching or not. Correct. So right. Obviously. So, um, okay, so then. Um, you've been the past, let's see, oh, I lost my spot. Okay. Um, what caused you to come to Deming? So it was just basically your mom coming down here. Right. Yeah, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, I kind of thought it kind of made sense, but the problem was I didn't want to come back here. I wanted to go home and be the same person. Um, 
So I, I argued with God about it for about a year and a half or so. Uh, I had known Pastor Barker. He was a senior pastor here at the time. And um, I got an opportunity to take a welding test down at, um, at South Dodge Mine. I had figured out, well, you know what, I haven't touched a weld in a couple of years. I said, there's no way I'm passing. Long story short, I got there. I passed, and they hired me to start the next Monday. So I'm like, okay. So, well, I'm not leaving my family on the land. I'm like, well, I work here, so you're going to have to figure out some way to to house us. And so I called uh, Calvary Chapel Silver City, and there, he didn't know anybody was renting. I called down here to Deming. And uh, Pastor Marshall says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got somebody that will rent to you. So on the way down here, I'm like, all right, come on, man. Ain't nobody going to rent to me. They don't know me. I ain't got no cash on hand. I was wrong. And so uh, they ended up renting, and, and so we moved down that very weekend. Yep, you were able to bring family down here. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, so those that don't know, Belen, New Mexico is approximately 250 miles away. It's about a four-hour Trip. So it's quite a distance for to be separated from your family for a significant period of time. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're not not going home for uh, anything more than a day or two between um, between work weeks. Right. So um, so growing up yeah. as a kid, um, were you raised in any sort of a religious or Christian household, or have any sort of a religious or Christian upbringing well, at all? My mom was a really staunch Catholic. She she grew up Sunday school, Christian by the years, and Lutheran Church. Uh, my dad, uh, I guess you'd call him a black Catholic. He, he believed in the Catholic Church, but he never really went to church. Uh, but that was really about the extent of it. I've seen a lot of religion. Uh, I just hit a point where I honestly figured God hates me. Uh, being adopted, I figured, you know, hey, man, obviously my parents didn't want me, so why would God want me? And that actually led to my very first tattoo that I got when I was 18, which was down there for those forsaken ones. Because that's how I felt, man. I mean, even though there was religion, it had no relationship to me. I honestly believed that God hated my guts, man. So I figured, hey, that old Mel Gibson line, I figured I'll reap a wedding. I'll pay them back. It works for me. So that's how I started living my, my youth from a young age. Right. So it was just religion. There was no, it was it was a routine more than anything. Correct. If anything, there was no relationship. It was just a go through the motions and right. go with the flow kind of a thing. Um, so we've obviously established um, that there was no relationship there. And what it, it was just simply then, because you kind of answered the next question, the fact that you thought that you were forsaken, that God didn't yeah. care about you, and that's what caused you to stray from your religious upbringing, yeah. essentially. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's it. Because you don't know who God is. Uh, I, uh, I am unfortunately, uh, with religion, you get the, the dogma, you get the, uh, the religious rites, if you will. You know, got to do it on Sunday. You got to do and it's a bunch of these goddess, so you start assigning that to God. Okay, well, I'm never going to be good enough because I'm not doing all that. Yeah, it becomes faith-based right. and tradition-based without the actual following of what the Scripture says, Correct. where it's faith. All right, so 
Um, obviously, growing up in that kind of a, a household, I'm sure that there was some limitations on what you were and were not allowed to do. What kind of lifestyle did you live prior to knowing Jesus? Not even necessarily as a child, but we could go from, you know, while you were a child or in your teenage years, you know, your, your young adult years. What kind of a lifestyle were you living before you came to God and put your life in? Like the youth, I pretty much was living like one of us, and it was in hell. See, that's the thing. I never doubted there was a hell. It was just hell. So that led me down um, to practicing witchcraft, uh, getting involved in Satan's youth. Um, from there, uh, I got involved uh, with a particular street gang and started my logistics career. Um, Growing licensed pharmaceuticals at the time. Uh, those of you that don't know what that is, it means I, I used to use drugs. Uh, <laughs> PC way. Yeah, PC <laughs> way, man. You know, you, you did what you had to do, you know. So, of course, anybody who's been caught up in that started out with the of that life that rolled themselves in. You know, whether you intended them to be or not is irrelevant to what comes with the territory. And um, obviously, Trying to seek fulfillment, uh, whether it was with drugs or not, I don't know. Uh, sex, I mean, be honest, as drug addict as you can be, in the movement, that was just who I was at the time. Because what I wanted, I think, was my foundation of somebody wanted me. Because again, I felt forsaken. And nobody ever would feel me. And as long as that kept getting drilled into my head, and there is no hope without Jesus, but you just try to keep filling the part. But it never, ever uh, takes you there, right? What comes along with that thing that I've heard, I've heard you say it, Pastor mm-hmm. Marshall say it in the past, that we all have a um, God-shaped hole right. in our hearts, and we try to fill it with literally everything mm-hmm. but God. Yep. Um, and that kind of leads into the next question, which partly you've already answered. Um, so in that time frame, in that period, did you have any addictions that you struggled with? Oh, addictions. Alcohol, uh, because you know when you get the gamble, you know it's something you can't lose. You know, it's like there's you could be drunk and people just kind of laugh it off, but I was drunk there. Um, the drugs, um, cocaine was a great weight loss program back then, and uh, you know if you have the right people around you that are willing to support that person that's a chemical addict, um, you know you kind of cling to them. But uh, I'd say alcohol was one of the just because of the fact that it's socially acceptable. Uh, you walk into a party and you bring a, <clears throat> a bottle and a 12 pack, you know, people welcome you in. And nobody looks at you where you throw an eight ball on the table. Some people are going to be put off. So yours is kind of a mixed bag. Right. Something that you can do in front of people versus in the car <laughs> on your own. So, um, given given that lifestyle, running around with gangs and addictions and things like that, which normally those come with some sort of a consequence, with legal consequences, and, and you don't have to share if you're not comfortable doing it. But were there run-ins with law enforcement and you know <laughs> legal proceedings that were that, yeah. well, there was a lot, especially as a youth. Um, pretty painful at the beginning. Just as the fact was, and unfortunately, I learned as a youth. How to avoid a lot of the issues that I was encountering as an adult, and so there wasn't too many as an adult, but as a youth, there was a whole lot. Um, and, and when, of course, 
Italian drug. When I, when I was in elementary school, I tried to sell a bag of powdered sugar that I stole as cocaine. Because <laughs> um, I've been watching the Army Vice. I don't know if you do those, but I remember that was one of the first ones they ever let use. I didn't even know that was illegal at the time. Uh, the That was uh, not to happen again. You were educated in that uh, area, yes. <laughs> in, in the education that you didn't have before. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, we kind of gone through some of your background, um, things that would lead up to this. So growing up, feeling forsaken, not necessarily being involved in a church in any sort of a relationship way with God, not uh, being faithful to the church or to God, just following along with the, the traditions, mm-hmm. going with the flow. Did you ever once think that there was the, the chance, even the slightest chance, that you were going to end up being, A, involved in a church even, but being the pastor and in charge of teaching and leading a church? <laughs> no way, man. No way, dude. I wouldn't put foot in a church. And once I came to Jesus, I'm going to tell you, dude, I wouldn't put foot in a church. You did churches. Knock on your door, hey, can I give you a Bible? No, no, that's not going nowhere, man. And what event? Because I don't actually know that I have that as a question in here. And if we do, who cares? We'll go over it again. What event then would have turned you um, to where you would step into a church? Because every we all have some kind of an event somewhere eventually that leads us to it. I was working actually at uh, a distribution center, and uh, there was a guy that was working there. His name was Richard. He has since passed away. I was actually the last person he lived with, guys. Um, and um, I seen him. Well, the first thing he told me when when he saw me is, he says, "You know what? I don't want to hear no dirty jokes out of my hand or bad words. I'm a follower of Christ." And he said, "To me, that just puts a bullseye." And Steve, I treated him like like trash, dude. I tried to get fired. I just I made his life as miserable as possible. But every time he saw me, man, he said, "Hey, brother, what's going on?" Uh, all that to say, um, <laughs> I got to the point where I was drinking enough, and he was making close to twenty bucks an hour. I couldn't put ramen on the table. Um, and so I used to work some overtime. I realized what the catch was. This time, literally, was for two hours. And so we start talking at the end of that. Uh, he says, hey, you're having a little baby, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, come to my house. I'll feed you. So I'm thinking I'm going to his house. I'm going to get a sandwich or something. Well, I roll up in my Jeep, and he opens up both his refrigerators, both his freezers, puts everything in my Jeep, and he says, come with me to Walmart. We get to Walmart. Uh, he buys changing tables, chairs, you name it. Puts it all in there. Well, what am I going to say? You know, I mean, this dude just spent who knows how much money. Uh, and I treated him like garbage the whole time. So I went to shake his hand and tell him thank you. He says, you know what, man? Don't thank me. Just thank God who created you. So I could give to you. And then he gives me this uh, gift I call personal Bible tract. And then there's like three different verses. And so he gave that to me. And so that started me thinking. Different. Didn't ask me for money. Didn't. I was weird. 
So I opened up this little personal Bible tract, and the one verse in there that to this day is still remaining <clears throat> is where it says, I come unto thee, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So my brain was reading my word for life. And dude, there's verse to it. Gosh, dang, I can tell you. We work out production inside of that warehouse. And so I would pull 120, 125 percent <clears throat> all morning long. And everybody must have thought I was making a couple bubbles that sleep because every afternoon I would just get crap. And I was in a stall, nobody could bother me. I'd be reading this verse over and over and over again. And so finally um, I went back and I told him, I said, Hey, well, you know, you gotta take me to your church. You know, it's not a big church, it's in about Phoenix. So okay, well, I mean, <laughs> he says, well, you live in Berlin. I said, yeah. And he says, go to that Calvary Chapel over there in the warehouse over there to the and get the Bible. So I'm kind of like hemming and hawing. I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go, you're going to make it happen. I step out of the office and they say, hey, sir, well, you got one more to go. Cool. I knew God didn't want me to go. Well, three steps later, they said, hey, never mind. So and so wants to work. So uh, I went to church, you know, and uh, ended up receiving the Lord that night. Almost got in a fight with Pastor Adam Neal when I first walked in. I wanted to hit him because I opened the door and he turned on me. He's like, hey, I'm Pastor Ray. I didn't even know why. You know, I just buttoned up. I go, I'm not a religious man. And then he, his response to me was, oh, I'm not one either. And that just totally floored me. I'm like, well, you just said you were Catholic. What do you mean? And then I was got to sit there. You know, and I think they were having what's called a, a technical meeting. But for whatever reason, I went to the, the back. For the first time in my life, you know, my wife and my son was born. Um, it just smacked me right now. I couldn't even get it. You know, and, and by now, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be crying like a baby, you know, sticking my wife in the side, like, come on, come on, you know, you know. Couple months later, when she realized it wasn't just me, it was AIDS. That's that's how that that ended up working out, you know. So it's just a um, a living, walking testimony mm-hmm. as to, I mean, you were you were horrible to this person that you worked with. Oh yeah, and you didn't give up. He didn't, and it's really weird, man, because it's it's like you said, it's a living testimony because he didn't just speak it. In fact, to be honest with you. I don't think I ever heard him preach at me until um, the day I asked him to come to, to, to take me to his church. I told him to stop. You know, it's like, oh, my God, the first time I ever heard anything truly, if you will, religious coming out of him. Other than his original statement was, I don't want to hear dirty tricks. You know, I don't want to hear crap like that. I will serve and die. You know? <laughs> and so it, it really is amazing because – a testament to what God can do and how faithful he is because obviously he didn't have to give you all this food. Right. He didn't have to fill your freezer. He didn't have to buy you baby clothing or supplies or, you know, yeah. whatever it was that he bought you. That was all out of the goodness of his heart because God had blessed him mm-hmm. and he was sharing God's blessing, which a lot of times is how people see that because uh, especially in today's society, I think, where people wouldn't give you the time of day. If you ask them for a quarter to make a phone call, you know, assuming there was still a pay phone on the corner, people <laughs> would, you know, they would laugh at you about that. Right. Well, and, and I think the other part, too, that I found interesting is that I think when you told me that we don't know who the last person that was a leader of the church was, I also didn't know who the last person was. So at the time, I didn't know what that meant. 
But uh, he would end up dying, I want to say, a month later. Uh, he went in for a routine surgery, ended up getting an infection, and he was over. So I was literally uh, the last person that Penn State would lost to in the national championship bracket. You know, and so, so that's where it kind of suffered me because we don't know who we're talking to. He could be talking to someone, someone could be watching this video and end up receiving the Lord at the end. That's it. We're dead. There's no more, you know. Right. And we'll go both ways. Either you or them. Right. You or me. Because right. um, we're not given a time. We're not guaranteed a time on this earth. Hmm. And to share the gospel with as many people as we can. Right. It's, I mean, that's, we don't know who's going to get saved. We don't know. We don't know who's going to get saved. It's not. It's out of our hands. We're just God's mouthpieces. He does the work, right? right? So, um, let me see. That was. Um, where am I at in my questions here? Okay. Um, so when you started, uh, we already went through that. When you started attending church, what caused you to attend? That was that was answered in there. Um, and it was the same night. We'll get rid of that question as well. Right. Um, the question was, um, how long was it from the time you started attending church until Jesus came into your life? Or you asked Jesus into your life, and it, it was that very same night, the first time that you walked through the doors of Calvary Chapel, Rio Grande Valley, in Berlin. Yeah, and, and you know what's crazy? When I walked out of the church that night, I think I just really was hit in the face. It just dawned on me, man. When I walked out of the church that night, I had a physical, not that it was a bunch of garbage, but I think God was really trying to convince myself in my heart. You know, you, I, I was sharing with you in that verse, it says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When I walked out of the church that night, it felt light in my life. Like everything was gone. You know, I got the, probably the best night of sleep I ever had in my life. And it was, you know, it was like a new beginning, you know. And that's an awesome thing, other than that, you know. And you can attribute that to having a clear conscience. Yes, you know, oh, a big time. A big, a, a clear conscience and just everything that's bad and evil taken away from you. Yes. You know? Um, okay, so uh, after you became a Christian, after that night, um, when you asked Jesus into your life, did you still have a desire to sin? Like, we know that um, with anything else, we're there's always going to be some sort of a desire and that um, we're still human and we're still going to sin because nobody's perfect. But with any of the addictions that you had with the drug using, feeling, alcoholism, sex, um, any of those other decisions that were uh, essentially idols in your life, um, did you still have a desire to pursue and indulge in those right. You know, it's kind of a trip, but for alcoholism, I'll give you an example. I never went to sobriety. I never took it. That was done. Uh, the desire for cocaine, I was very honest with you. Even today, when I think about it, I felt gooey, right? I missed the bitterness in my mouth. I'll be very honest with you, the numbness that comes with it. It's, you know, so yeah, you do desire that. And of course, having a bad sex addiction, dude, I'm, I'm a guy. What can I say, you know? So I have to make sure that. Everything that I do is going to guard myself against falling into those traps because the enemy, uh, Satan, loves to take us out, and he knows what things will do to us, right? Well, you feel lonely. You've had a bad day. Oh, hey, check this out, you know? And then, of course, uh, working uh, 
if you will, in the real world, you know, with regular people that don't know the Lord, that temptation is going to do the worst. You know, they're going to show you a spectrum of this, especially if they find out that you are trying to serve God. They're going to say, pick me up. It's not the text message, you know, I'm going to be a, a naked woman. Well, you can't unsee what you saw. So even though you didn't intend to, now that picture's in your mind. So now you've got a whole new fight, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's there's lots of things like that um, that you're still going to struggle with. But that's part of your maturing process, you know, out of the book of James. It says we go through these things so that we can mature um, and have our, fa- our, our faith more complete. Um, so, you know, anybody who, who comes to the Lord is still going to battle. And if it ain't with the things that they had at that moment, trust me, something's going to raise its head and you're going to have to fight that fight to try to live righteous. And sometimes you fall, you get right back up, you get to the cross, you just keep moving forward, you know? Would you say that maybe their desire was lessened or lightened or that there was a sense of conviction? You know, like you're like, hey man, I should go get my truck. You find yourself sitting in the truck and then you're sitting there arguing with yourself because what if Jesus came, right? What, right. You know, what if, what if, what if all of a sudden, what, what if Jesus was sitting in the seat next to me? Right. I think you said the key word there, which is conviction. Because never in my life, never in my life would I have given up second class to go to Cuba or to have some Chipotle or to have some drinks. It was just not going to happen. In fact, in the world, that would have been considered a good night. Right. right. So for the first time in my life, now I did have a conviction that, hey, you know, you don't need to be doing this i have something better for you right um our our old nature is always there and then it's got to be the spirit of god um, that convicts us and moves us to i don't even know if, if this is going to be if this is going to be on the text or not i'll share with you a little story of what i'm talking about when it comes to conviction of the holy spirit and how the enemy will tempt us so along with my career in um, pharmaceutical representation and um, logistics. I also uh, was an actually a very accomplished thief, right? To the point where my parents wouldn't let me in the house without them there because I was that good. And I bring this up because I remember the first time I got my certificate of prescription drug in my life. Pastor Steve called me in his office and he, he gave me the key and the passcode. And I told him, I said, you know I'm a thief, right? And he says, oh, you were? Let me give it to you. They're all gone up to, I want to say they were like $50,000. I think we paid over $100,000. So my mind is stupid. The first thing I start thinking is, you know, I'm taking these home goods, computers, all these things, right? I'm making a killing this weekend. To the point where I drove down the hill to the Circle K that was across the street from Calvary Chapel Alameda where I got hit, was filling up the tank in my van. And it wasn't audible, but for the first time, I could say I I understood and understood to hear the voice of the Lord. But I'll let you do it if you want to, but you'll lose everything. And I finished putting fuel, and I felt so guilty. I had the conviction of the Lord that I wouldn't even think about doing that. After everything that it cost me, that I just went home. You know, I never, I, I never crossed my mind again because. Dude, I felt dirty and small that I even thought about it. Much less if I had went and did it, but just thinking about it. After God had opened up those doors, after they had trusted me, 
and my own parents wouldn't let me in. So, so you you talked about conviction, and I think that was one of the major changes that happened in Christian is we start to feel the conviction of the Lord telling us, hey, you might not want to go there because it's going to destroy you from the inside out. And we have to carry those things. And, and so uh, I always remember that. Uh, I want to say I drove past it a few times because I shared that story a lot with a lot of people growing up. And, and they kind of look at me as a, dude, that was just part of God's plan in, in training me up and helping me understand that my flesh is still there. But I have choices that I can make and I do make. So That was one of the questions, even though I had heard that story, but I think you just shared it. I know it's kind of a personal story, and, mm-hmm. but it is a, a true testament to um, God working in your life, right. you know, because like you said, it wasn't audible, but you can feel it. You have that conviction of, hey, you know what? This is not what God would want me to do. Because at that point, the law is written on your heart. Even, you know, you know, we all know that it's wrong to steal, right. but we do it. Because you said you were very accomplished. But this time, it's not just I'm worried about getting caught and going to jail. It's that there's somebody that's bigger than me that I'm worried about. And when you find out that it's God, when you find out that, Lord, I know that you see my failures, and you see the flaws in me, who you are. Right. I'm sure I went through it as a child. I never seen it. But I remember the first time I walked into this very enormous Second time it's here, right here, that third time it's later. You read the Bible and you read the rest of the teachings of the church and all of a sudden you go to Christ and he softens your conscience. It's like everything else in life. It's like having sex before marriage mm-hmm. and then that opportunity arises and you don't feel like it or drinking and driving. That's always super exciting the first time you do it because <laughs> you're worried about getting caught and going to jail and then you right. didn't get caught for the first 300 times and then all of a sudden you're wearing a nice set of shiny bracelets right <laughs> um, but that's it's that way with everything bob barker, shoes. bob barker shoes orange uh it's with everything in life especially things of this world with sin as you don't care when you're not a christian when you're not following god but when you are following god it becomes it, then it's when it becomes an issue. Um, so you kind of answered this one, and I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add to it, but were there any events or moments in your life that proved with absolute certainty that God existed and was watching over you? Obviously, you gave a, a very um, profound testimony to that right now, and the fact that he kept you from, from stealing from the church and ruining everything that you had, but if there's anything else I got that came to mind. There would be only a couple of weeks prior to my sixteenth graduation. I was going to a Bible study at Heather Forest Center um, out there in, in Durand. And who ordered a pizza? Um, just because I couldn't find a house and I was going to walk out without having to work for a month or so. Uh, somehow in those Sundays, I was trying to do a pizza stuff out. I guess, you know, while everybody else was talking and everybody was trying to talk to me, talking to a truck student and to my parents I wanted to push him out of the way I never got to both my knees are not broken by any means um, my foot knee is not knocked to die uh, it was a bruise on my left side and then they took a partial 
55 miles an hour total depression. And uh, of course, you and them spent their life trying to get that depression in there. You and them have not been able to get I laid there and grabbed the limb. I came back to him late. I said it was an entire trunk. I looked up and he stood back. Let's go. Waiting and waiting. Bus had stopped. I don't know how it saw me because I was wearing black. But it saw me. Um, and it was going to put me in the ambulance. They were trying to give me an IV. And every time that they put that IV to my skin, they couldn't pierce it. It would bend the IV needle almost into a perfect V. It was wrong with two. And it dawned on me, you know what, for that moment, I, the only thing I can figure, and I might be wrong, God, forgive me if I am, but the only thing I can figure is for that moment, God had his hand around my body, total depression, didn't let me get hurt, didn't let my son get hurt, um, and then I was able to minister to a dude that was um, that was coming down off of heroin and give him the gospel and accept the Lord. And so it was, I can't think of a more proper example of God just having his hand on He's got his hand in it because you're still here to give your testimony. And not only that, you got to talk to somebody about God. Amen. And it was all planned out in some sort of divine. And a lot of people would see that as some sort of a really screwed up situation. <laughs> but it was used for for good, for God's glory. And that's what it's all about. You know, a lot of people, and this is a little bit off the topic, but a lot of people will make arguments and say things like, if God is so good, why does he allow evil in the world why is there death why do children die why are there school shootings and they're tragic but the answer to that is twofold one we live in a fallen world and two it's all for god's glory and that might it sound horrible but it's for his glory Four weeks, I just went to All right, I'll take care of you. I'm not going to get to go. And I'm going to teach you here in Arizona. It's pretty critical, man. It's always amazing when God works and moves. There's always a purpose behind it. Uh, were there any moments, uh, we'll say post your conversion post that night where you accepted Christ. Uh, were there any moments that uh, you questioned the existence of God? Look, man, we're humans. There's always going to be those moments where uh, do I really God? I mean, if you really want to tell me the truth, you know, uh, and you're still allowing this to happen, I question the goodness of God all the time with different things, whether my wife was uh, was sick or you know she got COVID or uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, but it, I think that's the biggest thing for me is I probably question the goodness of God. I think we all question that because something happened, you know. Right. Um, but I also think I mean I think it was John MacArthur who said, he said, we're not 
perfect one God's mm-hmm. it is part of our um, growing in our relationship with God who has doubts right. at times. I think it was MacArthur that said that, and I can't remember the exact context what he was talking about um, that led him to make this statement, but he said it basically was that you wouldn't be human if you didn't doubt God, and we're not trying to impose right. human logic on it, but to ask yeah, questions to grow and, and build our relationship. Right. So. Well, look at Job. Mm-hmm. When I read the book of Job, you'll see a person that struggled heavily uh, with the idea that God wasn't doing what he thought God should do. Right. And yet God now rewarded him, but he's been pretty bad. And that would be something that as humans we dis, uh, we, we have a hard time with um, because it's not our time, it's God's time. Right. Um, it's not our will, but it's his will. And when it goes against us, then uh, right. <laughs> then God's the one that's wrong, and we're the one that's wrong. Um so, okay, we, you know, you talked about you were doing some service work at Rio Grande Valley there mm-hmm. in Berlin. Um, what kind of service did you do prior to coming here? Just Well, uh, obviously, Sunday night came to life. Funny story. <laughs> Funny enough, I was standing up to preach at the Apostle of Berlin. And I was like, no, I can't pause it on this version. Sorry, we have another one. Funny story is I ended up having a memorabilia. This was in real life. On my on my desktop, I can pause it. So if this is the first version, I do. Anyway. But I started off actually serving there in the work. Did that for two years. I uh, got involved with the Benedictine Order. Picked up a guitar in Benedictine Order. Worship work as a Benedictine minister. Took that over. I started teaching in Southern Germany. Pastor here in the Southern Chapel of Keep the attention of some adults. Okay. That to me was a challenge. Oh, I'm still trying that one out. So I jumped into the children's ministry, uh, youth ministry. I think Ben was the pastor for my first two years. Uh, and just still working. Um, in the middle of it, I ended up ordained to a little uh, Bible college that they had there, setting up tables and uh, doing the copies and the recording. Was my way of paying for it because I didn't have no money at the time to do anything else. <laughs> so that was me paying for the Bible college. And then Janet was the assistant. And, uh, and I just kept doing that for a while. I ended up leaving. I was actually on staff there in, in Berlin at the time of that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it was more that it was, it, at that point, had been growing beyond just volunteering to clean the toilets. Right, right. You had actually gotten put into a position within the church to serve. Um, Okay, so then uh, when did you decide to pursue becoming a pastor, and what events led you to that decision? Or the alternative to that was it just something that happened? If, you know, some some people are like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be a pastor. My brother's an example of that. He went to school because he wanted to serve. He wanted to be in ministry. And so he went to school in Michigan for that. Um, was it 
something like that, or was it just something that ended up happening as God led you to it? Right. Well, and wouldn't it be fair to say, uh, and I can only speak for the few that I know of, um, but that a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors have not been through a form. Well, a lot of the bigger ones have, uh, but some of these smaller, smaller churches, um, Pastor Mike and McIntosh, uh, uh, well, Pastor Mike um, 
Matthew from Calvary Chapel, Estancia Valley. You were with him. Mm -hmm. You guys were both at Rio Grande Valley at the same time. And so he never had any formal schooling that I know of aside from that. Maybe he's done something since. But outside of that, he pretty much left Rio Grande Valley. And while you came down to Deming to work with Pastor Marshall, he was out in Estancia Valley. Right. That's the church that I'm attending out there now. Um, and so it would be fair to say that a lot of Calvary Chapel um, pastors have not ever been to a formal college where they've gotten, you know, the letters in front of their name and things like that. I've <laughs> never, been, never been to seminary school, never been to any kind of ministry school, aside from what they learn at the church, but they are no less effective and efficient. And in a lot of cases, they're much easier to relate to, especially when it came, comes to things like addiction, because uh, a lot of them come from know. those backgrounds. Right. Well, and I think that that's, that's a really important thing to note here. Sometimes, and I want to make sure that we understand that. But I think sometimes people forget that Jesus didn't go to the lost. The lost is who is who the Father is as well. And all of us have to look really carefully here for what society would deem as the bottom of the line. The lost. The lost. You know, Jesus came for them. And, and so many times we forget, remember, our Who you learn by is that you understand who God says you are. You are a child of Abraham, built your child of God, built by the power of the power, work for the power of the power. And um, from Ephesians chapter 1, you will come to the land of the promise of the promised land. You know, as God deals with us, we find ourselves very quickly able to help somebody else or quickly willing, right? Being willing to step out and say, you know what, man? Okay, your homework. I know you don't understand how to do this, but I'm going to take half that credit. I'm going to leave you know, the number of things that I know you're going to do. Here's the thing. What do you want to do? What do you want to do, man? Bring it on. Right. You know, I don't care what they think. You know, imagine if they had told me, hey, you know what, bro, you can't sing a stick stick. You know, you've been drinking for two weeks without drinking. I would have I missed it. Church is, a, is not a sanctuary for sinners. And the Calvary Chapel churches, and I'm not discounting anybody that's been through seminary, that's you know, yeah, that's yeah. got anything. I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about, it, but it's definitely relatable. When you go start talking to somebody about addiction, which my YouTube channel, my Facebook, and all of that is about, when you go start talking to somebody about addiction and recovery, and the person that you're talking to has never picked up a drink in their life, they're not very relatable. We're going off of what they got taught in some in the school in a class. And then eight days, eight months, and so on. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's relatability, I think, is what a lot of it is. And like I said, we're not, not discounting anybody that has never struggled with that because we're all, all we're called to serve. Right. Some in different capacities and for different reasons, and it's all part of the body of Christ and the church. Um, okay, so why, 
uh, White Calvary Chapel, and we kind of have established that just simply because that was the church that you were directed to go to. It closed, and it was a Bible-teaching church. But um, if you were to not be where you're at now, because we've already kind of established why you chose Calvary Chapel, if you were to not be where you are right now in your position of being a member or a pastor of a church, why would you choose, knowing what you know now, why would you choose Calvary Chapel Church? Um, well, probably because most of the pastors are going to look back to Association is a non-denominational uh, group of church that was founded by Pastor Chuck Smith um, back in the 80s, wasn't it? Or maybe back in the 70s um, during the it was yeah it was back in the 70s during the hippie movement, and um, he, he came up with this non-denominational through the Bible church um, instead of topicals. It was a verse by verse book by book study, and that's that's what the foundation of this church was. Um, it, it was designed to get the people that nobody else wanted. In fact, in his book. Um, how grace changes everything. I think it's in that book. He says that there was a big stink about how the uh, everybody's making a deal about the carpet. All the hippies coming in with their bare feet, making the carpet dirty. And he said, rip the carpet out because the carpet wasn't important. It was the people that were important. And so that's where this this all came from. But as, so that being said, then, are there any doctrines that um, Calvary Chapel follows that would attract you to this as well as as maybe a non-believer that would say hey this is the kind of church 
that I want to attend because not only, you know, is, is it, am I being told it's a solid Bible teaching verse, not just what I want to teach, mm -hmm. but. Right, and in that same note, you are free to wear whatever you want. If you have nothing except for, you know, the dirty clothes you've been wearing for a month in a jacket, you're welcome. And if you want to wear a suit, you're also welcome. There's no, there's no dress code that's very formal while still being formal. It's come as you are because it's what's on the inside. Legalism and traditions, which are based off of legalism. Um, so some of these, a couple of these um, last ones kind of have to deal with, well, a couple of them have to do with um, churches and running of a church. So what is one of the biggest struggles that you find while running a church? I know there's a lot. So you feel, free to, feel free to share whatever it is that's on your heart. Uh, but like being in the position that you're in, you're not just a church builder. You see behind the scenes and are involved in things. And so uh, that challenge is like, okay, Lord, and, and it's more of a challenge for, I think, the, the, the pastor and uh, uh, missionary staff um, waiting on the, on the Lord. Constraints of money. Yeah. And, and, but to date, even with some of the splits and the loss in uh, attendance, the loss in numbers of people that show up, because it's not about, it's not about the numbers um, so much, but um, in all of this, the lights have always been on. 
The doors have always been open, even when nobody was coming because of COVID. And you also have a radio station. Somehow, there's always funding for that. We made sure that everything was paid at least two thirds of the time each time we moved forward. And I've seen it right in this church, in this building, down the sanctuary myself, at the potluck that you showed up to that you forgot that that was the potluck and there's 35 people that didn't bring anything and four people that did. And somehow people are still taking food home. And how that happens, I don't know, because I'm a pig. I might not look like it. I can, it's, it's very, when God... I mean, I have a similar story. This is your interview, but with what happened with the uh, Zoom meeting for the addiction. Before I even, it was just a thought. Before I even had looked at how much it was going to cost to do this um, or anything like that, I even thought about how am I going to come up with the money. The, the prayer was already answered. I didn't know it for a few days, but it was already answered. God is faithful and God is good. So um, if there is a who, if anyone, is a major influencer uh, in your studies, in your beliefs, or someone that you would recommend um, to give good, solid, sound doctrinal teaching? Uh, you can say more than one if you want. A lot of times you mentioned um, they're not salvation issues. A lot of times as Christians, you know, we have different denominations, Calvinism, Arminianism, non-denominational, whatever. Um, we will, and I've actually said this before, right? We are the world's largest army, but we're also the only army with soldiers that will shoot each other in the back <laughs> over something that is unimportant, something that doesn't lead to salvation. Um, if it's based off the Bible, then there's nothing to do there, but it's some of the legalistic things that don't affect your salvation at all, but people will argue and fight over them, and that doesn't make people um, bad teachers. No. And yeah, as long as it's not a salvation issue, there's a lot of good teachers out there. Um, obviously, you might be one. I don't have to chuck. <laughs> but he's a very smart man. Um, and I think I guess I just, I don't know why I wrote this question twice, but the question was if you could recommend a pastor, theologian, commentator uh, to someone uh, as a, a solid foundation, who would that be? We've already talked about that kind of. Uh, 
few books. They're a uh, the B books, the B series is a um, book by book Bible study mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is what they are, and um, he goes through. It's very easy to read. Not <laughs> um, who wrote the theology book that we were going through, Ryrie. Uh, we're not King, we're not in the King James times. So you can very much understand the B books. Good, that's a good place to start because it's easy to read. There are, it has all the references, and um, it gets you through many things that you don't understand. I'm going through Romans right now, and I don't know how many things that I've, re I've read that book several times. And every time you read, you find something new. But as you're going through this, um, there's always something new to pick out of it, right. and it just makes yeah. it where it's easy to explain. So, um, okay, we're getting close. So we have, we have two more questions. Um, if someone was thinking about planning a church, this is this is not necessarily a question for everybody, but I have heard people, and it's not always often, um, but people say that they want to go start a church somewhere. I've said that and thought that. So if someone is thinking about planting a church or even simply serving in the church that they currently attend, what advice would you give them? You can answer either by using two different questions or the same answer. Um, yeah. You're going to do whatever you want to do. You know, some point, some point, you're struggling with what you're going to do. Uh, you know, I think both in your mind, in your but in my mind, you know, I'm like, all right, you need to make sure this is where you can help them. You need some help around who you can be. I would be okay with that. Right. You know, and I'm not willing to go to after the potluck or pulling the goat heads out in the parking lot. Do it as though you're doing it to the Lord. Yeah. All right. Um, so finally, this is our last question. Um, to the unbeliever, to someone who is watching or listening to this right now who does not personally know God and has yet to receive eternal life or salvation or acknowledge Jesus, accept him as the Savior, what would you say to them? What kind of encouragement, advice? Hmm. Thank you. 
but plug into it first is this book saying that you pick up a you can get a hold of me and I'll put that in the description afterward. I'll send out a favorite Bible to anybody that asks for it. If you guys uh, you know want to accept Christ right now, uh, just bow your heads. There's nothing magical about the prayer. Uh, it's words that you need to start leaning to God instead of God. So uh, repeat after me, dear God. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to sit at the throne of my life, to make decisions and keep me on your path from this day forward. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Amen. If you said that prayer, you know, welcome to the family of God. It doesn't just end with the prayer. It ends with the entire pursuit of the prayer. It's going to be a life. Try to serve God the rest of your life. Have your kids. Read the Bible. Don't be afraid to fail, because if you fail, he is faithful. When you succeed, it's because he is faithful, for it's always God's plan. And it's a journey. If, if, if you did pray that prayer, like, um, it's not going to be, like you said, something magical where everything, ta-da, everything's great. And in fact, as a Christian, your life is going to get harder, yes. because you're going to be persecuted. People are going to... Um, say things and do things just because you are a Christian. It's the funniest thing in the world. I know that there's a lot of hypocritical so-called Christians out there that treat people not the way that God would um, allow them to be treated, but then people think that it's okay to treat those that do care genuinely in a way that they would themselves wouldn't want to be treated. But that is what it is. But um, if you did pray that prayer, go find a church. Make sure it's a Bible-preaching church, too. Yeah. If you go in there and they don't open the Bible, walk out or You'll leave and don't come back. I actually uh, had this experience. I was I was um, dating a gal at one point, and she had kids, and we were going to church. And um, the same church is actually one that had gotten mentioned about being uh, speaking in tongues. We went to church, and I asked her daughters who I had bought Bibles for. They didn't have them. I said, uh, "Do you have your Bibles? Where's your Bibles?" And they said, "What do we need them for? We don't ever use them. Well, we don't need to go to that church then, because you're not being taught anything from the from the Bible. And if they teach something that it, contradicts the Bible, that's not a good place to be. It needs to be a good the Bible teaching church. It doesn't have to be Calvary. No. It doesn't have to be a non-denominational church. It doesn't have to be a church that goes through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, but it has to be a Bible teaching church. Yeah. Get plugged in, and when you get there, find someone and make them your mentor or whatever whatever yeah. word you want to whatever word you want to call discipleship. it. Seek yeah. the discipleship to learn, and you'll grow. And it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be something that is going to happen overnight, but you will notice a change when you, you commit your life to God and you follow follow Him. Your life will change, and it will be for a radical change. And then you'll notice a lot of things that you maybe had the desire to do, 
for uh, personal for me, I don't watch TV ever. I don't even listen to the radio. I have discovered Pastor Chuck C2000 through the Bible series, and I just made a four-hour drive for Thanksgiving today and do this interview, and I didn't listen to one song on my radio. I listened to Pastor Chuck's uh, commentator, uh, Bible teaching, Bible teaching yeah. on uh, on the way down here. And you'll notice things in your your life. You will desire to do less of the earthly and worldly things and more of the things of God. So, um, well, Pastor X, I want to thank you. We've got a couple hours before church tonight. Thank you for the opportunity for this um, for this interview. I uh, hope that this is helpful and informational to somebody. This is. As a testimony, this is not designed to be what is going to turn you to God, but it is to show you um, that God uses everyone and that it's possible no matter what you've been through. And just to, to it's a testimony. Yeah. God's doing the work. Anything that you may have got out of this, even though it's our testimony, any scripture, anything like that, it's all from God. We're just God's mouthpieces. So that being said, let's close this in prayer. And Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for... Um, for this day that you've blessed us with, and then with Thanksgiving coming up, people are going to be traveling. I pray that you'll just keep your um, keep your hand around them, provide protection, and let let the true things that are important to be thankful for this weekend be remembered. Um, not you know necessarily our jobs or the money we have or the house that we live in, but for everything that you have provided for us, um, because we know that without you we would not have literally any of it. Uh, so I. I ask for your blessing for the pastors and the churches that are around the world uh, today on Wednesday uh, that are getting ready to share the word of God, um, the Thanksgiving sermons, and then just for the safety travels, like I said this week. And if um, there's somebody that heard this that need, needed to hear this, if this is going to help somebody in their life, Lord, we just pray that you'll open their eyes and just lead them to you and, and grow their faith. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.